Shut up and sit down. Welcome. Welcome back to In the Context of Empire. I'm John Lancaster. I'm here with none other than Matt McKenna. Matt McKenna. Matt has brought us a varied assortment tonight of Voodoo Ranger IPAs. And he did that because he knows I don't really like IPAs. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate it. You're welcome, John. And uh, I can tell you that uh, your beer preference entered very little into my head. As oh, I, was I know. I know all too well. Um, so, Matt, first of all, we've been talking about your articles. We have not mentioned where they're posted. Yes. <laughs> this was a uh, critical a error, error that was pointed out to me by a friend among some other critiques of our first two episodes, which, which we value. We value critiques. And one of those critiques was, you guys are talking about interesting things. I'm going to leave it to you to trust me that he, that was actually said. <laughs> but you mentioned these articles you write, but you don't actually... Uh, mention to the audience where you can find the articles so now i'm going to make it explicit that you can find these articles at in the context of empire.com look at that easy all lowercase in the context of empire.com and matt you've posted three at this point there are three articles yes uh and they will there will be a fourth article probably in the next day or two i'm still working my that, the one that i post though it's still in the works it's going to be incredible i'm sure Yes, we're still way. waiting for John and his uh, incredible thoughts to oh, make their just, debut. On, there's just a the lot of thoughts of swirling, you know. They're, they're, they'll find their way. They'll find their way onto the page. I'm waiting for him to surprise me with some 40-page manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Matt, a little bit of a little bit of a down note here for us. What's that? It's the last day of our summer as teachers. Tomorrow we go back in, right? Well, not well, really. Well, yeah, we work tomorrow. We work. Well, uh, <laughs> would you call? Would you call what we do work? Listen, Matt. What I'm trying to say is, this I'm is not a moment of the black lung. <laughs> <laughs> this is a moment of reflection. Okay, we've had the summer. The summer is coming to a close. I think we should reflect on some personal experiences that we've had in the realm of what we talk about in the context of Empire. Namely, a story that I want to tell that happened actually the last time we recorded this podcast. That's the in- that was the day of the incident, which I'll go into. I'm going to listen to the story and act like it's brand new information. That's but uh, I agree that this is a story that should be told, and it is as informative as it is ridiculous. It is very funny as well, in some ways. Very dark humor. So you're, you're into that. I am. John, take it away. What, what happened to you on that August evening. Well, what a brisk August evening it was. So, last, was that last, no, two weeks ago, I think it was now. I think it was more than that. Maybe. Well, the last time we recorded our podcast, as Matt was coming to my excellent patio where we record with the crickets in the background, um, he was, he was going to take about 45 minutes and Matt has gotten me into running. And so I often run by a neighbor's house who has, you know, Trump flags and Trump stickers plastered, you know, all over the house. And I've always wondered, especially in the climate now, like what, what's so gripping about Trump that someone would, would do that? Not just vote for him, but like would plaster their house with stickers and whatnot. And I've always wondered this every time I passed by it. 
And so when Matt was coming over that evening, he was going to take a couple of minutes. So I thought, you know what? I'll go over to that house. I'll leave a nice little neighborly message if they want to discuss. Um, part of me was thinking, wow, it would be really cool to have him on the podcast, whoever that person is. That would be an interesting <laughs> discussion. But anyway, I left a little sticky note that said something like, hey, neighbor, um, I'm someone who lives just a few blocks away. I see that you have Trump stickers plastered. I didn't use plaster. I, I see you have Trump stickers on your windows. Um, and I'm genuinely curious as to why you support him. And in, in parentheses, I have, I have, I am not, and I highlight not or underline it, looking for any confrontation. I'm just genuinely curious. Then I have, let me finish this post to know, Matt. Then I have, if you're interested in having a conversation about it, let me know. And I left my phone And just to be clear, if anyone's speculating, because I feel like you said, I left something like, I can attest that there was, it was not, not something like, hey, get back to me soon or else. It was, yeah. it was a very friendly, casual note. I mean, I we can get into this, but I personally would not have left that specific note. But I think it was not confrontational. Why wouldn't you have left in that any interpretation? Note? I'm curious. I, I mean, I just don't He's not interested. feel like I have a lot that I can talk to with that person well, that's about with that person and not to I, I would say that it's unlikely that you're going to change that person's mind and but you're better off trying to talk to people who are a little closer on the spectrum to now them. here's the thing the objective is is off though because I wasn't going to try that to tra- change that person's mind I know that person's going to they're pretty set right with Trump stickers and everything right, I'm just it's not like they, they're not just voting for him right, right like they're, you know We'll do who we're voting for in another podcast, sure. but uh, but you know, like you and I will both end up voting in the the election. Yes. Uh, we've both voted in past elections. Yeah, never once. I don't know about you. Never once have I put someone's sticker, campaign uh, bumper sticker on my car or anything. So it's another level to do it, and it's another level to do it for a polarizing figure like Trump. Right. And above that, it's an even further level to do it in Rutherford, where we're recording this, which is. I mean, I'm just assuming Pretty fairly. Blue. It's a it's a blue town. It's, I, w- I would say it's middle class, upper yeah. middle class. Yeah. Uh, That's the thing is like we're pretty involved in politics, and we would, I, I don't put stickers out. You know, it's actually a very interesting thing that that we don't do anything like that, despite our involvement in or interest in politics. Well, that's a whole other issue too. Like I don't, I don't know. If I don't really like believe that. in the like the. The deifying of any particular political sure. figure, like the, you know, a lot of the Bernie guys got like obsessed with him, and Bernie then Gross. it's like a huge letdown when they don't do what you want them to do. Yeah. And I think I think that kind of deification and loyalty to a particular politician is limited. Yeah. Uh, that uh, seemingly lost on on the Trump supporters around here. Like that is not a level of support I feel like you see from other candidates. Yeah, I, I don't. I'll tell you what, I have not seen anything resembling that from any of the Biden people. <laughs> like, I know probably most the people in this neighborhood will well. vote for Biden. There is, there is no enthusiasm yeah. on that level, which is why people need to be careful, because Trump could win. Like, they, yeah. people well, any, underestimate. Yeah, any, any notion that Biden has this in the bag, I think is dangerous, and also, like, not true, actually. But anyway, I leave this note, again, not to persuade, but have a conversation, trying to understand, like, what is it, is it... What about his character or his policies or whatever that makes you so um, 
support them so much so that you have you know stickers and flags. So I left this note. We then proceeded to record the co- the, the podcast that week. And then a few days later, two days goes goes by. We recorded that on a Wednesday. Yes. And then on Friday, I was on my patio yet again with some other folks, and I got a call from the police department. Now, when I got that call, I actually thought it was like an emergency call to anyone in the area for some reason. Like, I did not think that was targeted at me because I, there was nothing in my mind that I would be called by the police for. And I have a, a voicemail transcriber, so when they left a message, I could see the, the very beginning of the voicemail, which was like, hey, this is Officer Blank. Um, I'm looking you don't for. Want to use his name. I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't. I don't know if I can accurately remember it, but you know, I'm looking for John Lancaster, and then it had like a dot dot dot, and I was like, "What is going on?" Um, so I didn't pick up the phone. I actually didn't. I didn't call back either because I was in the middle of something. But then I got another call from. It was named named Memorial Park, um, and I answered it, and it was that officer again, who explained to me that the person, which I now found out is a woman who lived at that uh, house or apartment, called the police upon seeing this post-it note, and he made sure to include that right now she's not threatening harassment charges. But it will be a problem if you go back onto her property because it'll be trespassing. And I could not... I could not believe... Like, when that happened, I could not believe that it actually occurred, that the police were called for a very soft and genuine note but also that the, the cop was kind of taking a stance of like, listen, right now it's not, it could become harassment if she decide like, right now she's decided not to press charges and also never go on her property again. <laughs> well, John, this is another case where your curiosity has gotten you into trouble and it's a high time you learn that you should not try to engage with people <laughs> about these things. It's so I'm funny just kidding, because I think, course. I think the conversation and dialogue is so missing and then like, when I, when I try to genuinely interact, <clears throat> immediately I'm getting calls from the police department. Yeah, and there's there's some speculation I have there that, like, I, I don't know enough about surveillance or police access to surveillance and, and yeah. data from yeah. phone companies. Yeah, because My I, gut is that the only reason he knew your name is because the, the beginning of your uh, voice, voice message is... is how you've reached John Lancaster, <laughs> and the cop was like, oh, we got, I was we so got worried, because I Good remember... Good detective work, Johnson. <laughs> I remember I reached out to you, I'm like, how'd they get my name? And you're like, dude, it was your first mail, and I was like, oh yeah, that would make sense. But, but I, it was pretty bizarre, and I, I like, didn't get over it for like a couple of days, where I was like, I was like what? What is that about? That they're calling police? I don't know. But that, it obviously wasn't that big a deal to him because he waited two days to call you about it. Well, I kind of wonder when they called. Yeah, I wonder if they're, they're sitting around stewing over it. Trying to figure you know out. what? This is not going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put my foot down. You know, these, all these criminals who go around leaving their contact information at the Look scene at these of the radical crime. leftists <laughs> they're leaving their contact information. And then uh, let's go with the assumption that they actually thought you were a criminal. I know. And... Uh, the cop believes you're a criminal, and he thinks you're the kind of criminal that sees the police department calling and says, you know, I'll call him back. <laughs> see what's up later on. Well, then we start, you and I started talking a, very, a little bit about, and maybe we should get into this part, kind of a spinoff off of this incident. And it's also, if we're talking about a reflective period of her summer, 
something else happened over summer, summer which I will only describe very briefly, but it, it relates to this, in which case those Facebook arguments. You know I've been in them, Matt. You know I've been in many. I've been trying have, to yeah. avoid them. You engage in Facebook a lot more than Look I do. This. What more am I doing Twitter with guy. my life? But anyway. Facebook's hey, very personal. I, I know you keep saying that. I should hop on Twitter. I'm not there yet. I'm not at that level of social media. But a friend's father, who was very conservative and a Trump supporter, um, basically when, when commenting on someone else's uh, post where I basically asked a question. It was kind of rhetorical because it was a post that was kind of not factual. He posted, and that was not just me posting, like, things against what was already posted. He posted um, classic liberal snowflake responses. (laughs) Which, it was very funny because there's nothing like calling some of your son's closest friends liberal snowflakes on, on that person's post. But... This is what reminds me of that incident um, with the woman calling the police because what more snowflake reaction than to call the police upon seeing a post-it note that is fairly, is friendly and, invi- I think, inviting. Very un- unoffensive. Uh, I think at least it's like you are under no obligation to call this right, number. You could just say, all right, now I'm not into that and just throw it away. I think what she might say is like, well, it's unnerving that they went onto my property. It's like, do you have that same reaction when like UPS drops off a package? Like it's, is or, or it, it's anybody a, or anything. Right. Like you have a front door, you have a doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that is the, the thing you're saying about the snowflake is something that you and I have talked about before. And, uh, it's really a shame that the right wing has really hijacked the, free speech narrative and what I mean by that is uh, you have these people that have emerged I think mostly in the last probably decade um, but it, th- there's a trend of this going even further back the, the crowd that thinks the politically correct slash woke crowd is the is the crowd that's censoring free speech or is that that is somehow offended by people expressing their opinions and it is like totally out of context that we live in a very, very right-wing society. Okay. Our basic institutions are right-wing in comparison to every other industrial, almost every other industrialized country. And what I mean by that is, our politicians advocating for for policies that are commonplace in most of the industrialized world are considered radicals. Yeah. Even uh, our demo, even like our left. Right, we have we have two parties that in most other countries would be considered both right of center. Yeah. You have the Republican far right psychopathic uh, most dangerous group of people on on the planet, and then you have these slightly less dangerous Democrats who provide meaningless opposition to them. <laughs> um, so it's in that context where a lot of the like offense taken mm-hmm. is by people on the right just kind of goes by, and people don't question it in the way that they question legitimate criticism by people on the left about real issues like racism and uh, bigotry, sexism, uh, homophobia, uh, portrayals in media that perpetuate these kinds of of ills on society. And it's like there's never any reflection for incidents like the one you described. Like 
you're calling people on the left snowflakes, and normally it's like some fucking college kid. Yeah. Like it, it's like the right. how many videos are there of like Ben, ben Shapiro, Shapiro debates some eighteen year old college kid, <laughs> and it's never of anything of substance either. It's it's always like he speaks really fast. He's and he very talks good about at Western values, but he doesn't say anything of substance. And if he were to debate something, uh, I'm not saying those issues are trivial, but I'm, what, what I'm saying is that they get very much uh, hijacked by by religious values and and things that become very subjective. If you were to debate debate Ben Shapiro on stuff like U.S. imperialism uh, or the wealth gap or income inequality, I suspect that. He would not do as well, and there's there's a yeah. shit ton of videos online of people, uh, people on the left making fun of Ben Shapiro, and it has nothing to do with how not PC he is. Right. I'm getting off topic. My point is, it's like that kind of sn- snowflakeism, if I can coin a word, <laughs> on the right is like never called out, and it, yeah. they call people on the left snowflakes. But just try insulting the military, try insulting the cops. They take the slightest criticism of the police, and they—it's like an online campaign. Like uh, even around here, and I, I've mentioned we live in a fairly liberal town. You—you'll see the Blue Lives Matter. You'll see that oh, yeah. flag. You know the flag. Yeah, with, like, the, the stripe, blue stripe the through blue. it. Is that the thin blue line? Is that supposed uh, to be? I don't uh... know, and I don't care. Yeah, it's like the slightest criticism of the cops receives these massive PR campaigns. Uh, Dude, every game, every uh, professional sports game, you have the flag out. If anyone kneels for the flag, people vow to stop watching the NFL. Like right. people who've watched the NFL their whole lives, they vow to stop watching it. How yeah. many people this week are going to stop watching or vowing to stop watching the NBA because yeah, yeah. they're protesting a, another police murder? It uh, also reminds me of like a very similar like the war on Christmas. Oh my god! It's like the that's like it's actually a good strategy. Like it's historically worked really well in in fascist leaning countries where you pretend that you're actually the victim. We talked about this on the a past podcast, right. uh, but in Indonesia in 1965, as the right wing supported by the United States was murdering leftists in the quantity of like a million people, half a million to a million people, depending who you ask. They were acting like they were the victims. They were like they. There was some incident called the September 30th movement where, like, eight generals were killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still kind of ambiguous as to why it happened uh, and did how much the the left wing leading parties were involved in that. Uh, a lot of people say it was instigated by the CIA uh, and uh, the Australian intelligence agencies and, of course, the Indonesian military. But regardless of what caused it. They used that to portray themselves as victimized by communists and proceeded to kill a million people. Well, <laughs> and it's like the com- most common thing, like the right wing, they are the most fake aggrieved people on the planet. And yet they have the audacity to call people on the left snowflakes. And like their idea of someone on the left is like a college kid complaining about uh, transgender rights or... or or uh, identity politics, things to be taken seriously, but it's like it's just nothing compared to the aggrieved status that they claim. But like even even if you were to trace that example, I mean, it's to a lesser extent now. I shouldn't say a lesser extent. I would say the impact might be lesser than what your example was in Indonesia. But like going back to this example, that's <laughs> going. To, what's on my mind is like the RNC and and the reason happening is like Trump. That's literally Trump's strategy is the victim card of like 
oh, the media is so unfair to me. It doesn't give me credit, despite, like, lying. Like, when, when caught in the lie, it's like, it's fake news. It's, these media outlets are being so unfair to me and, and the people who follow me. Like, that's like the victim strategy, and it works. It works really well. It, it, I think it's always worked. I think so. And, uh, you know, Trump is, a, is an opportunist. And he's a, a showman, and and he he, for as stupid as I think he is as a person, he identified something that is real. Like there are hints of truth to things that he's said and appeals to people with that it that he's a total uh, liar about. Like like one of the things he campaigned on was how NAFTA had hollowed out mm, the American that's job. That's totally market. true. Which is ironically, Bernie Sanders was yeah, talking Bernie about Sanders is all over that. Um, yeah, and he's absolutely correct. And you know, you have the the corporate wing of the Democratic Party can't really call him on that because they pushed it through, and the corporate wing of the Republican Party, almost the entire party, can't call him on it either because they push it. it, it this is a policy. The NAFTA was a policy that was H. W. Bush, like dreamed of passing through oh, yeah. but he couldn't get it through but when Clinton got into the into office he faced a lot less opposition it's like that, that's that's something that that Trump hit on and he was able to weaponize the aggrieved people who felt legitimately that they were aggrieved but then he applies it to all this other stuff like you know he, he applies it he applies it to racial politics he makes white males feel like they have aggrieved status in the United States right. and uh yeah, exactly. Yeah. It grows out of uh, he what he's mixing in these real grievances that he's not going to do anything about. He's not going to do a damn thing about right. jobs going overseas. I mean, he's giving huge tax breaks to the wealthy, and then he mixes it in with these racial grievances. And I, I I would assume historically that's a pretty common trend. I mean, going back, this is going back a little bit to what we were talking about with like both parties being pretty pretty far right, right of center, despite us saying. Yeah, I mean, the right. Demo- mainstream Democratic Party is. Slightly right of center. The the Republican Party now is is very far right. Right, but just to I don't want I don't want them to get away with it. Is not only you know we have NAFTA, which a lot of Republicans have pushed for, and again, Trump is illuminating the results of what happens when you have you know American jobs competing with very low wage um, jobs in usually Asian countries, but. And uh, and Central America. Yeah, sure. But like Obama, I don't want him to get away with the TPP, where no, he campaigned Pacific Partnership. Yeah, campaigning. I think he campaigned against NAFTA and then passed the TPP. So yeah, TPP is also one of those uh, pivot to Asia, as Hillary Clinton put it, uh, where there's this idea that. That global, I, I hate being lumped in with this crowd because, like, there's a crowd of right wingers who point to globalization and it's it's all tied up in this anti-Semitism stuff. Oh yeah. But at its core, they the people who really criticize globalization have a point, and it's it's been the TPP, NAFTA. These have been policies, free trade policies, which we did not. That that's not how any nation has ever gotten rich ever. We expect other countries to adopt them through and. What it means basically is that the richest people and the richest corporations get to profit ex- uh, in enormous amounts, while the workers of both Americans and uh, both American workers and foreign workers 
don't make a dime off of this. And in fact, it creates greater crisis because uh, like NAFTA in Mexico created this huge immigration crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because we, uh, you should look up Rahm Emanuel, he talks about this, but (laughs) not in a good way. Rahm Emanuel, when he was Clinton's advisor and later Obama's advisor and later a terrible uh, mayor of Chicago. But he he talked about how if we do NAFTA, he understood that it was going to create this huge privatization of farmland and farmers would be kicked off their land they would they would have no business so they were going to travel into the united states so he's on record saying that we need to have a tighter immigration policy so what these policies did was they they light countries on fire and then you make it tougher for them to flee the fire yeah and trump and trump probably understands absolutely none of that (laughs) but he under what he what he does and what what he is uh great at is identifying an anger and then applying it to any number of issues because he can't personally identify it himself and he but he can identify that people are angry and that that can be weaponized i feel like what an opportunity would be though if if it just went a little differently and she went you know what maybe i will have the conversation and then she would be sitting here on our podcast probably not but explaining perhaps what you're explaining which is the sliver that the sliver of truth that Trump has touched upon that has amassed such support amongst some people of the population such that there's almost this fervor for him as a as an Well, what I would say if people want to like learn about NAFTA, there's, there's a couple of authors that explain it much better than I can. Um, and, and what free trade really means, because it has a very innocuous, kind of harmless kind of sound to it. But I would, I would encourage people to read uh, Thomas Frank, uh, specifically Listen Liberal. I would encourage people to read Chalmers Johnson and the Blowback series. And I would encourage people to read Craig Grandin's Ed, End of the Myth. And he, those authors really break down how NAFTA and these free trade policies serve only the richest U.S. corporations while... Disabuted by while constricting l- labor in, in ways that would not be possible without them. Folks, only on the context of empire can we take an anecdote about a neighbor situation <laughs> and just extrapolate. Yeah, we, we consistently get off topic. Oh, it's incredible. Matt, should we pivot to another incident? Yes. All right. Now, let's talk about something that happened very recently. Um, with one of our past students who has since graduated. I think it's important to talk about. And again, it is within this realm of reflection, because you and I have partaken in quite a few of uh, protests, Black Lives Matter protests at this point. I think it's important to talk He's about one step from putting it on his resume. <laughs> I mean, it's already on there. Um, I think it's important to talk about. And I think this is gained now this story has gained pretty wide attention. I don't know if it's just local, but I actually read a comment earlier that the ACLU tweeted about it. And I don't know if that's true. I, I looked, but I don't have Twitter, so I'm very limited in what I can look at. But apparently, that's what I've read somewhere. But I, mean, I, I know that newspapers across the country are, are covering it, um, but we should probably explain what the incident was. And since I talked a lot just now, why don't you sure. explain what happened, John? So one of our past students who has graduated... Um, past year has been active I would say in in our school's community regarding inequities Um, 
but has since staged a uh, Black Lives Matter protest, um, also kind of uh, adjacent to another issue in her community, which is the housing issue, Mm -hmm. if I I remember correctly. Affordable housing. Affordable housing. Um, And she staged a a protest in her local town, and uh, she Zoom called because of COVID. She Zoom called with uh, either the mayor or the police chief, I don't remember, some, some town official to make them aware of the protests um, and then ha- held the protests where you know several dozens of people came and then after the protest was billed around $2,500 um, for having her protest and the, the rationale was that she had to pay for police overtime so the town was basically saying that we had to have police work overtime for your protest to, to be there for your protest and mm-hmm. now you have to foot the bill. Now of course this is a constitutional issue where you know you have folks exercising the First Amendment right um, and you have now that But you gotta pay into it apparently. Right. Apparently you gotta pay twenty five hundred dollars <laughs> if you would. Should we name the town? Is that weird? You can name it. It's in there. I, I want to know. A, yeah. This is a national because story. I want the it's mayor. Anglewood Cliffs. I want the mayor. Yeah, it's Anglewood Cliffs. I do want the mayor to be held accountable for for this. I mean, he has been a little bit. He 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 conceded to. Yes, he rescinded once the bill. it got really bad attention. But this this took local news. I saw ABC News cover it, um, which is a station here. Like this, it took a lot of pressure, which again kind of goes back into what we were talking about in our a few of our other podcasts, which is like those in power need to have. Like a significant amount of pressure to change, right? right. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be like, oh, you know, that's not the right thing to do. Let me rescind that. Yeah, let me rely on the good nature of the mayor of Anglewood Cliffs to do the right, right. thing. Um, yeah, and she, the student that we're talking about, she went through the proper channels. I, I know personally that she did go through the proper channels because she told me about this in early July, and yeah. they're saying that they had no notice about it. Um, well, so, it's even it's public now that she she did make this she did make she, them aware that they were holding this. Yeah, she told them ahead of time, and then there's also the part where it's like, I'm very sure that she was not asking for the police presence there. Right, like yeah. she, you know, it's like this thing. It, there's they're required to be there, but it's like we were going to do the protest no matter what. There's a <laughs> tremendous irony in staging a Black Lives Matter protest and getting charged by the police for holding it. Yeah, and it's revealing that that mayor would would go down that road. I mean, the mayor must have known that this is, obviously, like, this is, we're now here in August, last day of August. Last day of August. George Floyd murder happened in, what, early June? I think uh, This protest right? happened, I think, at the end of July. So that's nearly two months between the George Floyd murder. No, I think George Floyd was. I think that was earlier. Earlier is in May. So I, I think it was in May. So in other words, this mayor, this was not the first protest that went down in New Jersey. Yeah. I, you know, you and I have been to several before that. I know they've been scheduling them all around New York City, New Jersey, and so to act like this was like a surprise issue to hit his desk uh, is nonsense. And he obviously knows how this is going to be viewed in the wider culture and he knows some people are going to jump on the side of of the cops or or just be uh reflexively anti-black lives matter yeah. 
and he understood that the, our student would have some support, and he made a, collect, a decision based on that knowledge. So I think he does need to be held accountable. I think I, I think for sure he needs to be, but I think it is also like a very clear message to organizers and activists. Like I think that bill sends a very clear and direct message. You got to pay your way into this. Yeah, you got these freedoms. If, well, I think it's not even just pay your way; it's don't hold them. Like, right, don't, right. Do not hold them because you will be charged for them. Right. You make exercising your freedom prohibitively expensive, right? And it's a it's a chill factor, right? Like and it's crazy are. that it, it's even more. I think even a little bit more sinister that the mayor would feel that charging twenty five hundred dollars to a stu a stu like an eighteen year old an eighteen year old who was going to college, you know, <laughs> um, I think that makes it even worse. <laughs> charging this. Well, I think they were kid. counting on her kind of just accepting it and I think a absolutely that's what I I'm saying absolutely. a lot of like think of it like how much gets done just by people not confronting yeah. their oppressor like, well that's the thing is like how many that's what kind of my thought process like how much do those in power get away with right because because we're afraid to someone has a you know there's like that famous experiment where the people will have like a reflexive uh, deference to authority yeah the Milgram experiment yeah yeah, and I think that really exists, and I think a lot of stuff gets done, uh, and a lot of oppression gets accomplished just through, especially American uh, d uh, deference to authority. Uh, you know, like you have someone call your house about a medical bill, you need to pay this right now. Um, I remember my mom went through that after my my uh, father's uh, long experience in the hospital. And you get some uh, low level employee, not to insult any employee, um, but someone calls sounding kind of threatening from an insurance company and they say you need to pay a bill and suddenly it seems like they're in a position of authority and, and uh, you know ho a lot a lot of us are hopefully starting to question that but a lot of people kind of just accept that authority and pay into it and I think that's I think that might be a slight misrepresentation though because like that's not really I think you're totally right where people feel pressured to like to pay a medical bill or something like that but that call is not really coming from someone in a position of power. Like, that is called, I'm assuming, someone who's getting paid, like, and maybe an okay wage, but not a high wage or, or is in a position. Well, that's the point. I'm, I'm saying that it's so ingrained into us to, to obey authority that mm. someone calls you telling, even a person who it might be making less money than you are. Right. Uh, not that I think that should be a qualifier, right. but, but someone, but we are so ingrained to, like, respect that the authority of someone calling you telling you owe money that I'm sure a lot of people pay that bill especially elderly people and, and if that is the lowest example it's like what can those in actual position of power get away with if yeah. folks are willing you know willing to, to do these things not questioning the call uh, but you said you, you saw a bunch of comments I think you said I don't want to get into it but yeah I, so I made the mistake of just I was just out, out of curiosity I wanted to search like how public has the story gotten because i was excited for her because like i won't name the student's name but she, but she's a great kid and yeah. uh like she uh motivated me to start uh she's one of the kids that motivated me to start writing and kind of taking a stand on some of these issues so obviously i'm biased and i'm defensive as a as you probably are as well so i just googled the story <laughs> not googled i did that thing on facebook where you can type uh a story like of words into the yeah, search yeah. thing and, and news stories come up yeah and i just looked on some of the posts that you know the some of the 
news companies had put out, and it's just, just, just a cesspool of right wingers saying the meanest things about her. Um, anything ranging from, uh, well, you know, that's the cost. You know, if you want to organize against the police, it's going to cost you. Don't don't do a protest if you can't pay the cost. An important lesson. And then I don't want to repeat. I'm not going to repeat some of the stuff, but just like comments on like her appearance and uh, it just really disgusting stuff that that someone would only do from the from behind a computer screen. And yeah. I resisted my instincts to get involved and and start commenting as if I'm going to change these people's minds by by arguing with them on Facebook. But it was the kind of stuff that like. I'm a very peaceful pers- person, but it, if I heard it said in public, like, I'd be tempted to throw a punch. Like, See, that's the, like, I'm kind of glad that I didn't look at the, like, I was not aware of these comments. I didn't, didn't look at it, uh, you know, the stories on Facebook about it. But I feel almost a sense of response, like, I'm, like, even hearing this, I feel like a sense of responsibility, and perhaps it's because she was a past student, I don't know, that could be the bias, but of, like... Even if it's not going to change a person's mind, again, I don't expect to. In that case, I feel like a responsibility almost to, I don't know, to, to throw that out there like, hey, like that is not okay. <laughs> I drafted a, a, a response <laughs> and I, I, my wife convinced me not to send it because she knows I get very upset over these things. But I said I was going to say something to the effect of kind of what we were talking about earlier wow there are a lot of snowflakes <laughs> yeah very sensitive insecure people on the site that are criticizing an 18 year old girl who has accomplished more in her brief period of time on this earth than they will in their entirety of their lives and it's i thought better of it and then i even was going to write at me if you want static like i'm a tough guy writing it over the <laughs> internet but um but like the hypocrisy she was right my, my wife was right though it's like what are you going to do getting into an internet argument with the hypocrisy I'm a, again this is a, based on assumption though of like I'm assuming these people are the people who are you got people drag racing around yeah that happens sometimes actually I've heard them earlier I think that's like route 3 like it, yeah people are like going that fast down route 3 some local traffic p- talk for you guys <laughs> classic jersey talk yeah we got some congestion on the right lane of 3 here um but I'm assuming that those folks who are, are commenting that would be the first, and again, this is an assumption, obviously, but would be some of the first folks who would be, like, protecting the Constitution, Second Amendment right, founding fathers, yet when charged for exercising the most basic of the uh, First Amendment right, it, that's the reaction of, of well, that's, the, that's what you get for, for protesting. It's like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, and it goes back to the the idea that we live in a very right wing country, and like the all of the base level assumptions of our society are rooted in a right wing philosophy. Like the reason you even like people on the left will say like support the kind of reflectively say support the troops, right? right Without yeah. any like reflection on what that yeah. really means. Yep. Uh, the, we even I don't want to say on the left, but Democrats who are left-leaning, they'll still do the whole God bless America, American exceptionalism mm-hmm. bullshit. Um, these are just built-in assumed correctness that when you challenge them, you're considered politically incorrect. Uh, even Everyone, with like several exceptions, and I mean like single digits, accepts American imperialism. Yeah. Uh, the 
try try talking about people's right to burn the flag with these with the conservatives or people or you know how do they talk about Colin Kaepernick or right. now now it's an expanded thing like they're the softest most sensitive people when it comes down to the very basic assumptions about America that people outside of the right wing still manage to embrace yeah and it, like you know, I think that really does tie a bunch of stuff together in terms of like the incident that happened with our past student, the incident that happened with me personally with this, uh, with the neighbor. And I guess like to me, it's it really what is the solution? I know we might be going too far here, but like when you have that type of um, one, I think uh, lack of discussion and lack of want, right? Like a lot of these folks don't even want to discuss or actually have a discussion. Um, there's a lot of battling going on, like rhetoric, but there's not very little, like, discussion. I, I guess it makes me think about, like, if you're not going to... And again, I don't blame you for not getting involved in that Facebook thread. or, um, But I do think we that literally juxtaposes my experience here, right? So you, you see this, and you're like, I'm not going to get involved. I see the, the stickers, and I say, let me lend a hand and neither really works <laughs> right not getting involved obviously doesn't work in a pretty evidently and I think in many other circumstances if I were to reach out genuinely to, to supporters who are conservative or, or far right they would not be receptive to even having a, a, a good hearted and good faith conversation so I, I mean, I'm not I'm not convinced that I can have a good hearted conversation with a lot of people who are committed Democrats. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I really severely disagree with these people on. So it's even harder when you talk about conservatives. Um, I don't know the solution. Like, I I don't know I don't know if there is a solution where you're going to have, like, this talk your way out of these these fundamental disagreements. Yeah, I don't know if discussion is the solution. People's value as as human beings. Uh, And, you know, we don't know why she voted for Trump. Obviously, I'm assuming she voted (laughs) for Trump. We don't know why she continues to support that kind of right-wing nationalism. I'm assuming it's not some story we're going to hear and be like, oh, okay, you know what? Makes sense now. Right. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you're going to change that person. Um, yeah, I, I think that I'm at a loss for like what can we do to relate to people and I, I the only thing I'll say is like even like given how how um, negative we might feel about America as a, as a whole and kind of a, where it's headed we were both coming and how it's a very right wing country uh, it is very right wing in it's official policies and but if you actually poll the American populace and you don't tell people that these are left-wing policies, the policies that are left-wing are very popular. Like even if you just if, if they're polled in the correct way, uh, like Medicare for all Medicare amongst for Democrats, it has like eighty-eight percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it depends on the poll you look at, but it is. It it, it shows that it's above fifty percent. But yeah, like Medicare for all is definitely popular with with Democrats and even some Republicans, but again, when you have folks in positions of power that are not for it, even the Democrats that are, again, like you said, pulling at 88% or whatever for med- something like Medicare for all, and it's not in the Democratic platform. Even, even this year, with 
Bernie making it as far as he did, he still was not ne- able to negotiate during the DNC to get it in the official Democratic platform. So, I, I think that, I mean, <laughs> you know, I like Bernie um, to the extent that well, again, I he just said some Bernie, things that I like. I just use Bernie as, you know, he, he really campaigned on Medicare for All. That was one of the, the very few, really, I think. Like, he, he campaigned on... Uh, a couple of really free college, yeah, Medicare free tuition, free healthcare. But even with that, even with him winning the first few primaries and looking fairly good up until really like South Carolina, I think it was where he, uh, where or Biden won, and it kind of swung from there. Even with all of that support around Bernie Sanders' idea, not, I won't say his idea, but his uh, support for Medicare for all, it still is not in the DNC's official platform what, what does that tell you like uh, well, exactly the platform is actually not even it's it it's really not even a committed thing it's just aspirational right sure sure uh, and that should tell you that the democratic party is is not committed to anything resembling uh, a popular agenda they're, they're not committed to they're certainly not committed to medicare for all yeah. They're not committed at all to ending the wars. They're not committed to legalizing marijuana. They're definitely not committed to free college. They're they're totally not committed to to an agenda that is very popular amongst the American people. Yeah. They think it's alienating. I I don't know if they're stupid or they're just maniacal. My and my my thought is that they're it's probably the latter. I think that they're the donors to the Democratic Party don't even want to begin the discussion of Medicare for all. And if we're talking about solutions, again, I don't know if we want to go on this. This is just kind of what comes to mind when we're talking about really like the division, polarization, attempts or not, or in your case, um, deliberate attempts not to reach out. In my case, attempts to reach out. Um, in the two-party system that we've had, Pretty much. I mean, there's been some outliers through history where you have a third party. Um, but what is like? What is the solution? Is it a, another like a workers' party, if you will? Did you see the? Or you got advertised the uh, People's Party convention? Oh yeah, yeah. What I remember? Yeah, we were texting a little bit. I saw um, Nina Turner's bit. It's I great. It's yeah, I have not seen Cornell West, bit, but I have not watched the, the entirety of the thing. So yeah, if yeah. You, I, I don't want to tell people like how to vote or anything like that because I, I, I like I said I don't know how I will vote yeah. we are in New Jersey it's a very safe state um, uh, what's to be done though it's like I don't know if the solution is to try to push the Democrats to be a better party or to just destroy it um, one thing I can tell you is that they're not going to change if they continue to, if they continue to have Unrelenting support from the Democratic base, which they they mostly do. Yeah, but there's a everyone should Google Lawrence O'Donnell. I don't know what you should what word you should use. Lawrence O'Donnell is now an MSNBC uh, contributor, but he had a clip uh, just talking about political strategy, and if you just Google. Lawrence O'Donnell, they don't vote for Democrats. I don't know what you uh, what you should title it, but he basically admits in this clip, when from his time as a political strategist, that 
the Democratic Party is never going to change if people keep voting for them. They need to, the only leverage you have as a voter is to at least have the threat of withholding your vote. Otherwise, there's absolutely no need for them to change. It, like, it goes back to what you said before. People in power don't change out of the goodness of their heart. They right. change because they're coerced to, coerced to do so. Yeah. And so if people keep voting no matter what and commit not, not just worse than voting fine vote vote for the democrats but this idea that you commit your vote way ahead of time as right. bernie did as aoc did right. as all these progressives did they have no need to to Change. make any concessions to yeah. you so I mean, just just watch that clip. Lawrence O'Donnell talks about voting. I, I'm not sure what what it's going to be under, but he what? understands it better than most people on the left do, and he's not on the left. What he's, was the message, though? Because I again, I didn't. I know you watched. It sounded like quite a bit of it. I did not catch it, and again, I watched Justina Turner's bit, which was very good. She was um, excellent, yeah. But what was the message, or was there even a message in terms of like voting? No, because they're not a. It's not a monolith. They're they're uh, very much torn on their own. Uh, you know, Cornell West openly admitted that he's kind of torn. Um, he referenced Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky's out there saying that people should vote for Biden, yeah. even though like he's making Noam Chomsky's like makes some of the best criticisms of the Democratic Party. Yeah, but I understand the logic. Like the the Democratic Party is the second most dangerous group of people on the planet. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you got comedians like Jimmy Dore and um, uh, Lee Camp, and they're saying that they're pretty committed to to not voting for Biden because they they think as long as you can keep continuing the system, it's going to proliferate and make no concessions to the left. Well, I, I, we've talked a lot about this, but I think a lot of folks who are perhaps Democrats. And I, I do think there's a sizable portion that are, like we were talking about before, actually, where we're talking about Trump voters and, like, the uh, excitement for around Trump. Um, the energy levels around Biden are pretty low. No one's, like, really... I think it's unquestionable that Trump is a more exciting candidate. Oh, sure. Whether but, you like him or hate him, like sure. we do. But. He's, got, he's got the show. He's got the showbiz experience he's a personality for sure um but like the energy around Biden is is fairly low um so yeah, i think I, I i don't know anyone that's excited about joe I, I personally don't either well no i don't think i do either but i think a lot of folks would who are again like on the left um maybe even far left would have a hard time justifying in this case i mean typically you always hear, like, the lesser of two evils type of argument. Right. Like, listen, I don't like this person, I don't like this person, but this person's, like, the best at this point. I think the view of... The viewpoint of a lot of these folks is, like, Trump is so evil <laughs> or so dangerous. Again, I don't I don't know if you share that view, actually, and I, uh, that's why I want to pose this, but that it's not really the typical lesser of two evils. It's, like, the lesser... Which one's, not, like, not Satan? <laughs> it's pretty much... and. Like, a lot of these folks um, think Biden is not just lesser of two evils, but, like, much lesser of the two evils, given the, I would say, hatred uh, of Trump for a lot of folks on the left. Yeah, I, I don't... 
disagree that Trump is kind of a unique threat to not just America, but to the world. Uh, there's a few things there. Uh, and I just want to say one other thing. I think people would often say, or, or, or ought to say, like, voting for Biden in this election is not necessarily, I know you're saying, like, um, that argument of if you keep voting for for Democrats, they're never going to make any concessions toward the left. I think a lot of folks are saying, like, let's get let's get the ball back first before pushing our party to the left. Like, right now, we're in a situation where we're not even thinking about pushing the Democrats to the left. We're thinking about stopping Trump. Okay, so... All right, there's a, there's a few things there. So, in terms of being able to push the party to the left, the idea that you're going to get Trump, uh, sorry, Biden into power and then he's going to listen to you when he doesn't need your vote, that seems hard for me to believe. And if, I, and I actually, if he can't even commit to Medicare for all sure. now during a pandemic, yeah. what are the chances that you're going to vote for him and then he's going to pa- uh, pander to you? Uh, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Now, I do understand tr- Trump is and the Republican Party at large is uniquely dangerous. So, again, so vote for Biden if because he, he you would correctly be identifying him as lesser of two evils. But remember that that means Biden will be president, and all the half of the country that's or forty percent of the country that are Trump supporters are still going to be around. The situation that created Trump, the neoliberalism, the endless wars, the uh, the economy that has been uh, siphoning money from the working class into the top 1% uh, for decades now is still going to be there. And I just worry that, that if we keep voting this way, if Biden gets elected, which he probably will, but who knows, uh, we are not at all addressing the core issues to these problems. And you, and I think you and I would probably agree, if we wanted to solve these problems, just if, if I'm like playing God and I wanted to fix these problems, we need a massive, massive redistribution of wealth. Mm. We need to end our foreign engagements and decrease the military budget. We need to drastically cut it. We need to cut it to like 20% of what it is now. Yeah. Uh, we we need to ensure social safety nets are available to anyone. We need to, uh, to everyone. We need to rethink what are our basic rights: housing, uh, Medicare, education, and that none of that is going to change with Biden. And right. even worse, it's not going to change if he can count on your vote. So all I'll well, say is like at least make him make not Biden, just Biden alone, but make politicians at large earn your vote. Yeah. Politicians are not people to be respected or uh, bestowed loyalty upon. They're people to be coerced, bullied, and leveraged to do what you want them to do. Take it away, John. No, I'm, I mean, I think what I was... I don't... Th- I just wanted to, to um, clarify one point and then kind of bring something else up, but I don't think anyone voting for Biden is thinking he's going to pass Medicare for all. Like, I don't think anyone, in their right mind at least, is thinking that once we elect Biden, he'll do what we want. I think most people who are voting for Biden, are who are, again, progressive or, or want Medicare for all and then other uh, progressive policies, are thinking, it sure as hell is not going to happen under Trump. Totally. Um, I agree with that. So let's, let's stop Trump at, at this point, right? Get Biden in. 
again, it won't be great, but it'll be some something, right? We'll again, we'll stop Trump again. It's more about stopping Trump, I think, for a lot of folks that are voting for Biden than, than anything else. And then, and then, once we stop Trump, again, Biden's just in there to get the ball back, as uh, you know, just as a. I think David Packman says that a lot, actually. But let's work on shifting the party then, without ex- expectation that Biden's going to do anything. But let's like work on shifting the party after we have control of the White House, not uh, voting a third party, allowing possibly Trump, because it's, like you said, Biden is probably going to get in, but it's pretty close right now. The it polls is, are fairly it is close. close. In terms of, it's looking a lot like 2016 in terms of, like, the electoral vote. So, it, the, I think a lot of Biden supporters, again, let's stop Trump, and then, then let's worry about pushing our party to the left. But again, it, it goes kind of to I don't know, like James Baldwin's like uh, basic argument of like how long will it take? I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen that that clip of him. Like, how much longer do you want to sh- to change? So I don't know. If folks well, are but it's not it's for, not as if the Democratic Party has been going left in any significant ways. The the in fact, in many ways, they since the nineteen eighties they've been drifting right. Yeah. The the if you look at like. Republican Barack Obama is on television, very famously oh, yeah, yeah. saying that he he the moderate would have Republican, gob, right? would have been viewed as a moderate Republican yeah. in the nineteen eighties. Yeah. I'm not convinced that the Democratic Party is going to drift left, or that the leadership of the Democratic Party has any interest in doing that whatsoever. We've talked about this before. It's so great to listen to Republicans talk about the corporate Democrats. And as if they're fucking socialists or something no, like know. that. They if think only. Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are socialists. It's like, no, not really. But well, it's kind of like, it's funny because we were talking, like the RNC's portrayal of Biden were like, we wish. Yeah. Like he's a he's a socialist, you know. He's literally talking about the co- giving the cops more money. Like, yeah, I know, I know. Like, it's radical he's socialist not even Biden. close to uh, the person they're describing him as. Yeah. I don't know how we've gotten here, Matt. Um, we're almost at an hour. Before we start the school year, where, you know, again, we got to do work. Who knows how often we'll be able to do this podcast? Probably. I think we should often. commit to once a week. I think we could probably do that. Any other reflections or last thoughts um, about the summer happenings before we leave tonight? Well, let's relate it to education. All right. I saw the Trump platform on education had oh, yeah, precisely two lines. Sense. Yeah. And uh, I'll do the one I don't care about as much. I do care about it, but it, it just didn't anger me as much. The, the One of them was prioritize school choice, which yeah. you and I would know what that means. Yep. What does that mean, John? <laughs> that means basically charter schools. Or not, sorry, not charters. It means vouchers. It, yeah, and it, it, it could be charter schools. Betsy like. DeVos's way of Attempting to privatize, completely privatize and destroy the public schools. Right. Which I, so that's, I, that's that's not surprising. Though. That's not that's totally not surprising. It's not surprising at all. But the other one was just egregious, and it is teach American exceptionalism yeah. in school. Which is and so it's incredible. like a they already do that. Right. <laughs> that is ninety percent of what gets taught. And so my response to that is actually, if you teach U.S. history, you have a responsibility to destroy American exceptionalism. You live in the most powerful country on the planet with the ability to exert massive violence on people around the world. 
the way that violence gets justified is this belief in American exceptionalism that gives support and condones the actions that the country has done and thus will do in the future. So if you're an American history teacher, you have a responsibility to not teach American exceptionalism because it is an extremely harmful force and it is uniquely harmful in our country just because of the power that we have. Um, so yeah, it's just, it was funny to see that just because it's so anathema to what we talked about in this podcast. Yeah, and I don't think I can top that. And again, we'll go into the school year thinking about it. Definitely having that in the back of our, our minds. Matt, I want you for the last minute here to just chat quickly about, uh, I know we didn't talk too much about the articles that you put out. Again, mine's coming. It's going to be, oh my God, swirl of thoughts happening. Just a, a incredible swirl. But I want you to have a couple, like a minute or two just to chat about one that you just posted. Um and some things that are coming out soon. All right, so first of all, get your ass on in the context of empire.com. Look at that plug. Yeah, great job. <laughs> uh, so the I published an article recently uh, about treason, the concept of treason. It was similar to the conversation we had last, two weeks ago, whenever we last recorded, about how words are used to reinforce power dynamics. And I, I question the idea of treason, about how it's used, how how one of the common criticisms of, of the Confederate monuments is by by having these monuments were glorifying traitors. And I, I 100% agree with criticizing the idea of idolizing the Confederacy, but I think we need to be careful with demonizing treason. And the reason for that is because historically, treason to the United States is actually often been very heroic and I, I give some examples of that and then I question the, the term and how it's used in general and that's we need to define how treason is is used in terms of is it does it mean being traitorous to the United States government or does it mean being traitors to the United States citizenry uh, or humanity at large and if we accept the sef- second definition then there are many powerful people in U.S. history that need to be considered traitors as well that we don't often consider that way. The other thing that I'm writing is a five-part series, supposed to be five-part series, that is going to be about the enemies of the United States, and it's titled Our Very Rational Enemies. And what I'm going to do is I take you through some of the alleged enemies of the United States and my argument I'm putting forward is these are not irrational actors. These are not crazy people. These are not uh, people hell-bent on destruction. Uh, I'm arguing that the enemies of the United States are rational actors basing their actions off of real-world considerations based on United States actions in the past. So I go through a few countries. I'm, da- I'm almost done with Iran. I want to do Russia. I want to do North Korea, Venezuela, and Cuba. Uh, so you can look forward to that. That's going to be a several-part series because I'm uh, picking up some critiques from my friends that maybe I should break up these longer writings into smaller parts. Uh, other than that, you can check out all of my writing, which is three articles at this point, and hopefully some from John at Don't some worry. point. There's a tsunami of thoughts uh, going through my mind. At in the context of empire.com, 
your number one source for bringing you anti-American <laughs> propaganda. And you don't want to miss my article again. It'll be it'll be out there. It's going to be wow, it's, oh, man. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it, Matt. Another podcast down. Hopefully just, the crickets weren't too loud. Hopefully another couple hundred to come. Thank you for joining us on In the Context of Empire. Join us next week for our next episode. See you. Goodbye.